Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. What a good morning, amen. Amen. My daughter informed me that uh, this week is the beginning of spring break. Anyone a part of that? Man, it's crazy. I feel like it, what, spring break already happened for you? Somebody just yelled that? What it, Patrick, you're fired. No, check. <laughs> uh, excited for what God is doing in this series. Man, what, what a good morning. As, as I joke with Patrick, we love, I was thinking about this when I was back there. We got Jamie Ann's back there, and Matt's back there making it sound good and look good. Can we just thank our incredible tech team for what they do? Uh, I, I uh, am excited, honestly. Tonight we have the return of Presence Nights. If you've never been a part, these are really, they've been a huge deal. We used to do them like every week. Um, but we took a pause from Presence Night because we were waiting until we had hired a worship pastor here at Banner Church. And so now we get to bring back Presence Night because we have made two hires. We have hired Gillian as our worship pastor. And then, like, literally the same day, she hired Patrick as our tech director. <laughs> so she's coming in hot. Uh, but excited for what God is doing and continues to do. It's really been amazing. And I just uh, want to say, if you've never been to Banner Church before, we're glad you're here. And honestly, I, I believe you're going to love this church and what God's doing here and what God's doing through your generosity. And honestly, it, just this week has been a week, a really difficult week. I don't know if you had a tough week. Uh, it's been a difficult week, but it's also been a week of just incredible testimony. Sometimes that's the greatest blessing in a hard week is when God is moving. And you're like, okay, it's been tough, but like, man, God is moving and God is good. And uh, he continues to move. I'm excited for presence night tonight at five, just personally, because I like just playing music and uh, being a part of, of worship and being on that team. And uh, I, I think that God is going to encourage you. And my hope is that he encourages you today. But I had posted online that we were going to make a larger announcement today. And I know some of you messaged me on Instagram. You're like, hey, tell me what the announcement is. And I told you, no. Uh, but I think it's great that you think I'm going to tell you. I do love you. You're like, oh, come on, man. Like, you love me. Like, yeah, I do love you, but I'm still not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> just come to church. Like, but I, you know, I want to know without coming. I'm like, well, then it's not going to matter if you don't come anyways. So uh, we are excited about what God's doing here. It's, it's been interesting. Uh, we have what we call kingdom builders here at Banner Church. And kingdom builders is the way that we are generous above and beyond our, beyond our regular tithes and offering. We firmly believe in generosity and the biblical principle of tithes. Uh, we, I, I love we were talking to our men's team about men leading the way. How many of you know that if you want to be a man of your house, you got to lead your family in the way of tithing and giving, right? You don't just lead them to church, you lead them in principle. Uh, and I will unashamedly stick to that till the day I die, always. You say, what about nope, till the day I die? Uh, the, the way we lead our family is through continued generosity. And I just got to say, and me and beyond, on half of Dave, too, our men's pastor, we're thankful we have men in our church to do that, to lead their families well. So thank you. Um, but beyond that, we also believe that God has things even beyond uh, just the regular act of this church of hiring great pastors and ministries of, of our regular kids' ministry. We believe for God to move in expanding ways. So through Kingdom Builders, we support global missions. So you just saw John, who's a friend of mine, who's, man, uh, just doing amazing work. I don't know if you saw that video and, like, realized what they've gone through. It's like, we had COVID here as a nation, and they've had, like, COVID, and then the earth exploded. And then when the earth was done exploding— it shook super hard. Like, literally, the whole earth was like, get off of me, right? And everything fell apart. 
Like, and they still went to church. Man, if that doesn't indict your spirit, right? It's like, here they are serving and giving. It's like, maybe we just need a good old-fashioned uh, um, volcano. I don't know. But they, uh, but it is amazing to see what God is doing. Man, I just love seeing planting churches around the world and seeing God move. And we were talking to Dana and Bridget and our sister church in Bangkok, Thailand, and seeing what God is doing there. It is absolutely incredible. I love seeing that they're teaching English to people to women in the red light district and they're bringing them out of sex trafficking and giving them a hope and a future through Jesus Christ. Uh, amazing. And then here, honestly, I was just talking with Nick, who's our Love the Block director, and we were talking about all that God is doing at the block. And I was coming back from a meeting on Thursday night late here, and I saw him come into the parking lot. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be like, go home, right? You have kids. And uh, he's like, oh, no, we went, and we went and met with the family, got to have dinner with them at their house, and they invited us in, and we're going to go to their kid's birthday party, and we just love, like, living life in our community, and that's what it's about. Amen? Because this is all of our community, and we celebrate that. Uh, so it's really cool what God has been doing through the church and, honestly, through you. Not only through your service, but through generosity. And uh, excited for what he's going to continue to do. And our third category of Kingdom Builders is called Future Church Expansion. Because not only do we believe uh, that God has called us to meet what we can facilitate, but he's called us to expand to facilitate even more. And so we have, I don't know if you knew this, but behind us here are three kids' classrooms. Like here, here, and downstairs. We have, we have a basement, which is kind of crazy. And on any Sunday, there's around like 40 kids plus leaders that are in those spaces, which is not a ton of space. It was a lot when we moved in here when there were nine kids in kids ministry. It's not so much now. Uh, if you're a kids worker, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, oh my gosh, this is a blessing of God and also terrifying, right? Uh, and we have an incredible kids team that is killing it. But uh, I, what I love about Delaney is that her vision is huge for not just doing kids ministry on a Sunday. Sunday, but she is our family pastor, and her vision is to empower families in the community. And we said, man, we really do not have a space for that. So uh, if you've been with us for the journey, you know this, but if you're new, let me tell you that we have been working with an architect and city planners and all this stuff to build onto our building and to build a two-story addition here on the building. And part of that has been all the plans and, and our, all the art, architectural plans and then having discussions about the future of the city. And you're thinking, wait a second, how are you going to build here? We're going to take out parking. Well, a lot of our solution is parking agreements that we have in the city. And then there's this lot across here uh, that, though it is sold to private developers, is going to be open for a little while and, and not developed. And that was kind of the, you know, as we talked with the city, the assumption that we got, we got to work on and work with. Well, at the beginning of the fast, I got a phone call because I have some relationship with some local business owners, the art school and different things in our city. And I got a call and they said, hey, just want to give you a heads up. Uh, it was a city manager called me. said, I want to give you a heads up that a lot of the information that you're getting is older information and things have really begun to rapidly change in Scottsdale. And I don't want to tell everything because, you know, you ever had those conversations with people and they can't like tell you, tell you, but they're telling you, telling you, you know what I'm talking about? If you ever done any work with the government, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, great. You know exactly what I'm saying. Anyone ever done any work with like a municipality or a city? 
Okay, you know exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking Ty knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, like you can't hold anybody to anything, but let's say if I were to tell you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like off the record, off the record. So anyways, we had a conversation, and one of the big concerns that arose was that a lot of the plans for Scottsdale are changing and adjusting, and so a lot of our opportunity to do the ministry that we feel like God has called us to do will be radically affected according to those changes. And now, those changes take a while to, to come into effect as far as usability of this space in this area, but uh, we had concerns about putting all of our money, right, as, as people who, my, myself included, are giving above and beyond generously to a space that would become almost immediately um, obsolete to meeting the mission for the purpose we built it for, right? Now, the easiest thing would be like, let's just power through and keep building it. I don't know, that seems like, so let's keep going. That's what we felt, so we're going to keep doing it. We decided instead, let's stop, because it was the beginning of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and recognize that as a board, as a team, God has given us and given myself something important to pray and fast about. And so I, I called our architect, and I said, hey, let's pause. And I called our, our AG, Assemblies of God Financial, and said, hey, let's pause. Let's, we're gonna, I'm going to take some time really praying fast about what it is, because we, we feel called to do future church expansion, but I don't want to spend a lot of money doing something in the name of future church expansion that's just building growth and not ministry church expansion. So we spent 21 days prayer and fasting, and I, I kind of came back from this moment and really came to the, con the conclusion that God has begun to expand our vision outside of this space. That when God stirred into us for future church expansion, he gave us a vision, and we put it kind of into a space that we felt fit that vision, but that God is actually leading us and calling us to something that is greater than that vision. Still future church expansion, still a part of what the ministry and the mission we believe God has called this church to do to come alongside and empower the families of our community in believing for more in their life through Jesus Christ, but beyond the conventions that we're used to. And so uh, as a board, we have here what's called a financial stewardship board, and I have to say I'm so proud of our board. They do such an incredible job stewarding the finances. I got to say, when you give to this church, uh, it is stewarded and guided by some powerful men of God and 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 it is beautiful to be a part. If you've ever been a part of a church that you weren't sure how things were going, that can be a stressful place. But I love being a part of a church that has an incredible board that's guiding and directing. And so we talked about, okay, what does that look like for our future? And we really feel that God has called us in this space to sell this facility. We own this facility completely. To sell this facility and to uh, move into a different location. Now, we, I don't know that location. That's not where I'm at right now. <laughs> where I'm at is that as a church, would we pray and fast together about what that space would be in order that we might meet the mission? God has given us a great purpose, but I feel like in the fast, God began to expand our perspective. And I've really thought about this, you know, in the terms of Man, it's big steps of faith and believing God for big things. And, and I came to the conclusion as we talked as a board and we talked as a staff and all our mentors and coaches, if, if there's somebody who is uh, of wisdom in our life, we, we really brought them into this process. And we came to the conclusion that we're positive of a few things. For one, I am positive that God is moving in this church. Amen? If you have seen the altar lately, God is moving in this church. There's testimony in this church. So God is moving within his church. 
I'm also positive that God has called this church for future church expansion because we don't want to be a nifty club with a white building. That would be lame. God has called us to future church expansion. And in doing so, I believe, and I believe if you're with me and walking in the Spirit, I think you might have sensed this too as well, that God has begun to grow our vision, and I am positive that God has begun to grow our vision beyond this space. So because of that, I'm positive that God is calling us to find a new space to fulfill the mission he's given this church. Can I say one last thing? I'm positive that it will still take radical generosity. Someone asked me when we announced to some of our leaders, they asked me, well, does that mean Kingdom Builders goes on pause? No, actually the opposite. If you forgot about Kingdom Builders, it's time to remember. <laughs> if you've been a part of this church, you say, well, that's so great that we're meeting the mission. That's so great other people are seeding it too. Could I just encourage you? Empower your family through generosity. Put generosity as a principle, as a core value of your family by giving to Kingdom Builders. And you can go on our website. All the info's there, Kingdom Builders. But now more than ever, if you thought building onto the building required God to move in a miracle of generosity, wait till we get a different building, right? But I do that because I really believe that God has called us to these three things as a church for global, local, and future church expansion. And so as a church, here's what I want you to do. I know there's a lot of questions. Well, would we move into like a strip mall? Would we move into multi-use space? Would we do this? Have we thought about this? Have we done this? When will it happen? And I know like if you're used to the house, like residential world, it moves really fast. Like you try to buy a residential house right now. I'm selling my house actually, I'm, like listing it this coming weekend, right? You got like two and a half days and you might have to like kick somebody over to get in the door to put your offer in first. Commercial world doesn't work that way. So you might have questions that I don't have answers for. Here's my answer. We will go wherever God leads us in whatever shape form he leads us as he leads us but I believe that God is going to do a miracle you might not have been here so you might not know this building was a miracle that people couldn't see or understand till the moment they saw it and understood it it's the same thing will be for the future is that God is going to give us that vision and so what we need to do as a church is trust in the Lord and how do we do that well we pray and we fast and we believe so I'm just inviting you would you join my wife and myself and our staff and as a church, would you join the board that we would pray and fast that God would reveal and make a way clear for this space he has for us. Amen? I encourage you, may this just affirm our commitment to what God is doing and what he continues to do. Man, following Christ, it takes faith, huh? Right? It takes faith to follow Christ. It takes faith for each person, but it takes faith for the church, right? We got to be a church that has faith to follow Christ and to step out. We have to trust in him. I don't know if you've noticed the regular rhythm to following Jesus. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus long enough to notice there's a regular rhythm, and it usually includes, uh, it's one of the reasons I love communion, because in communion we do these three things. We look to the past testimony of his goodness. Say, God, look how you provided Look at this, but look how this is a miracle. Then we look presently to the truth of who he is. We're like, God, I know you're this. I know that you're a provider. And then at the same time, we get to look forward with expectation that not only has God provided and is providing currently, but he will continue to provide and meet the mission through the church. Did you know that's really what it means to be a disciple of God? Is to walk out daily this faith, this trust in him. 
And the beauty is, if you're here today, I want to encourage you this morning because I believe that for every disciple, every follower of God, that God has given a heavenly purpose and heavenly power. I believe for this church that God has given this church a heavenly purpose, something that goes beyond earthly. We're not doing this for earthly power or prestige or glory. We have a heavenly purpose. We got a mission from God. And we've been given heavenly power. It's not by our might or our strength, but it's from Him. And I love that as disciples of God, that we've been given His purpose for the kingdom, His power to bring it about through the Holy Spirit and the perspective even in the face of the unknown. Amen? We've been in a series called Meals with Jesus. If you brought your Bible, I want to talk a little bit today, staying in this mindset of believing God for the impossible. Some of you here today are facing what seems impossible, or maybe we could say at least improbable, and you're in the face of that today, and I want to encourage you as you face those things, as we face them together as a church by looking at one of the most famous meals in Luke chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000. That's a lot of people. Uh, you might know, that it's actually it says 5,000 males, which means there was likely anywhere upwards of 20,000 people there. I recently went to a GCU basketball game, and I don't know how many people this stadium holds, but it feels like 20,000 people. Uh, they all jump on beat, and the building is made of concrete, but it moves. If you've never been, you have to go to this thing because it's like everyone's like chatting and they're like, yeah, we're having a good time. And then it's like, and it like there's like some DJ somewhere. And I normally hate this music, but for some reason it works in this setting. Normally, if I was driving in my truck, you would not find me like, you know, just like drive down the road. But it's like quiet and then like some music comes on. And I guess they do the same thing every game, but there's like, and they're just jumping in unison. It's crazy. So I want you to imagine with me, if you would, if you've ever seen, I don't know, a stadium or something, just walking in and thinking, I have to feed all of these people. Could you imagine that? Just walking in and thinking, I have to feed all of the people in here and being like, don't worry, bro, I got you. Here's a loaf of bread. And you're like, hooray. <laughs> Wildly ill-equipped in the eyes of the world, right? But Jesus is doing something amazing here. And we're going to look at that miracle in this moment. But that miracle is not a standalone element. It is part of a full and complete dialogue where Luke is trying to teach us something about what it means to follow Jesus. See, the Gospels are not like a random journal where they just collected enough things and then wrote their name on the front page, right? They didn't like find Luke's diary hidden under his bed. It's like, dear diary, today Jesus fed a lot of people. It was great. I love him. And then like a heart with like... <laughs> L plus J, right? <laughs> Luke is writing for an explicit purpose. He's trying to teach us something about Jesus and what it means to follow him. So this scripture is actually a part of a larger scripture and a larger dialogue, obviously the whole book of Luke, but also something that we see happening over and over that begins in verse 1. So I thought we could just jump there together. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. If you have it with me, say amen. Amen. Good. If you don't, don't worry. The words will be on the screen, and you can just say amen whenever you feel like it. Verse 1, he says, and he, who's he? Someone guess. Jesus. Good job. All the kids workers know exactly. You know, the answer is always Jesus, right? Safe bet if you're at church and someone says anything, Jesus. Even if it's not Jesus, they can't get mad at you for saying Jesus at church. So net win. Just saying, if you get confused at small group, just yell at Jesus. And then they'll be like, wow, they're so spiritual. <laughs> 
So it says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve together, that's the disciples, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. It says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever, you, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. It says, And they departed and went through the village, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I love this. Now, important context. This is not like post-resurrection. This is not like, wow, Jesus is God, and he rose from the dead, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to go. This is like in the middle this is like episode two of a trilogy, right? It's right in the middle. He's like, go and heal. And he gives them some powerful things. He begins to give them these descriptors of his purpose, and he's teaching them. He gives them three things. Let me explain. He gives them power. Someone say power. He gives them power. He gives them specifically power. You got to be careful how you shout power in today's day and age. My wife laughs. <laughs> <laughs> My wife says that I say the word power with too much of a country accent, which you can't do if you're white. And, uh, <laughs> and she's going to make fun of me for it later. Guaranteed. Power. Power is a good thing. I know in this generation we're like, anyone who has power is bad. Like, sure, that's what they want you to think. But power is, a th is, is what Jesus gives to his disciples, specifically power over sickness and demonic forces. <laughs> He gives them the power to heal people from physical and spiritual affliction by his authority. The second thing he gives them is purpose. Did I say that one? Okay. Can we say it? Purpose. See, that feels better. It feels cleansing. You feel good on that? It feels good. Purpose. Purpose. He sends them on a purpose. What's the purpose? To preach the kingdom of God. To preach the kingdom of God. He sends them to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Repent, for the kingdom is here. The Messiah is here. But he gives us something else, too, that I think is so profound. It's that not only does he give them power and purpose, he gives them perspective. He says, this is how you should approach walking in this power and their purpose. He says something interesting about perspective. He says, don't take any provisions. He says, listen, I know you guys are really into me, and I know we broke, but go out, heal the sick, but don't take, don't take any money, don't take any food, don't even take a change of clothes, like literally nothing. Go, and then like if people are cool with you, stay with them, and if not, kick the dust off your feet and move on. That is wild, Right? I know, I know. I think we made Christianity a little boring, if I'm going to be totally honest. Because Christianity is, to follow Jesus is wild. That is a wild thing to tell a human being to do with their life. Like, I know we're like, oh, they're a biblical character. I've seen them on the felt board. They're almost, no, th this is not VeggieTales. This is real life. Someone did this. VeggieTales is dope, but I'm saying a real person went out. Could you imagine? Could you imagine just me being like, hey, you got power, 
You got power to cast out demons and to heal people. Now go, and if people and people are just going to let you into your house, don't even bring a change of drawers. Just go, go, just go right now. And you'd be like, okay, maybe you can imagine it in the Midwest because people actually let you in your home. On the West Coast, it sounds crazy. Like in Seattle, where I'm from, you would die in the cold. No one's letting you in their home. Like you'll know somebody for 25 years and never know that they even have a kitchen, right? Uh, but, you know, maybe if you're from, like, I don't know, uh, Wisconsin, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, but I think this is a crazy thing that he tells them. He says, go out. Don't worry about provisions of the world. Do not worry about the provisions of the world, but go out. And, in fact, don't even be surprised, angry, or hurt when people say mean stuff for you and kick you out. Just be like, all right, I'm out of here and just move on. And it says... To their credit, I know we're a little hard. We're hard on the Israelites. We're hard on the disciples sometimes. But it says they did it. That is so awesome. <laughs> right? Does anyone else read that and just like, I'm sorry, what? Jesus is like, hey, I need you to go ahead and go out, heal the sick, cast out demons. Don't take anything with you. And they were like, okay. And then they did it. Wow. What a radical contrast to modern discipleship. And then there's this moment immediately following that's like a movie cutaway. So we have the disciples. They're going throughout preaching and teaching. I can, like, picture them. They're down in the village, and, they're, you know, they're like, there's, like, this scene, and they're ministering. And all of a sudden, it's like, and there's, like, a movie cutaway to just uh, Herod, who is the leader of Galilee. And I picture, like, those scenes where the ruler's just standing, looking out the window, and the film's behind them, and they're staring, watching what's happening, maybe like a goblet. And they're just looking out, and he's going, I wonder what they're doing down there. And so in Luke, we have this cutaway. First service found it funny. It's okay that you didn't. Uh, there's this cutaway, and in verse <laughs> 7, it says, Herod, it's all right. I, I, they fueled me with laughter, so it's fine. It's all right. I'll pray for it. God will heal me, and it will release the bitterness of my spirit. Uh, no, I get it. I was funnier in first service. But verse 7, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch, that's interesting. It's Herod the ruler, the one who was ruling over Galilee, the space they were at the time, had heard about all that was happening. So we have this scene where they're out ministering and healing, and God is moving. I mean, things are happening. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. And it says, Herod heard. And it says, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And I love Herod's line. Herod says, he's, he's perplexed. He's trying to reason through it. And he says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is an interesting moment. It says he's perplexed. Now, the, the English neuters it a little bit because it just says he's, just, he's perplexed. But the word here is actually, he was greatly perplexed. Literally, he was utterly perplexed to the highest possible degree. In modern terms, he was shook. And here's why. Because he killed the dude who was doing this, and like some biblical hydra, he cut off one guy's head and more heads sprung up and continued to do more of the same thing to an even greater degree. And he's thinking, who do I have to kill here to get some peace and quiet? And he says he sought to see him, which if we read between the lines, remember he's the bad guy, that you know he's going to kill him, right? <laughs> We're not idiots. We've seen, enough, we've seen enough James Bond movies to know how this goes. 
And it says he was perplexed. And he begins to ask this question, who is this? Who is this? There are some uh, important questions that you will get asked in your life. Like, will you marry me? That's an important question. You got to get that one right. Will you marry me? How about, do you know how fast you were going? Important questions. Right. My wife's favorite, are eyebrows facial hair? She, she hates this question, and I've determined that we will now fight for the whole week about this because I firmly believe that they are. How many of you believe that eyebrows are facial hair? Come on, come on. How many of you? No, you have to choose. Come on. Hot or cold, he'll spit you out, right? <laughs> How many of you believe that eyebrows are facial hair? Come on. Yes, thank you. Yes. How many of you say they are not facial hair? Sorry, we'll pray for you. Presence night tonight, 5 o'clock. <laughs> Some of you literally are not going to listen to another word I say. Because in your brain, in your brain, your spouse is going, it's hair on your face. And someone's like, and, and then the rest of you are like, are your eyelashes facial hair? Like, I can feel you freaking out about this in your spirit. But there are some important, important questions in life. The most important question, if you could, you know, stay with me here, is, who is this? The most important question of your life, whether you know it or not, is this question. Who is Jesus? Importantly, who do you believe Jesus to be? Herod has no idea. Could he be John? Could he be Elijah? And he doesn't answer the question yet. But a major focus of Luke is to put that question to each one of us that we might ask the question and that we might be forced to respond in some confession of, I will confess, who is Jesus? So here's what he says, verse 10. Everyone still with me? Okay. It says, on their return, could we snap back to this moment? It says, on their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. It says, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. It says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. It says, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. It says, the disciples returned, and I like this. It says, they said, we did it. Right, Jesus, we did it. We taught the kingdom. We healed the sick. There was miracles. They were probably pumped. How many of you would be returning pumped? I would. I don't know if you've cast a demon out of someone lately or healed them of sickness, but 10 out of 10, you would be jazzed. Right? <laughs> I, I, I can't even imagine, like, what that would be like to just be living that way. Like, not only, they didn't say it, but they were obviously, they didn't starve to death, so they got provision. There was miraculous provision, right? They were cared for. They cast demons out of people, and they healed the sick, and they came back, and they told Jesus, Jesus, we did it. We participated in this ministry of the kingdom. And then what's so cool is when they come back, what do they encounter? Jesus takes them, and he does literally the same thing that he commanded them to do. It says he gave them power to cast out demons and to heal. And he gave them purpose to preach the kingdom. And then what is, when, they, when they come back, what do they do? Jesus is preaching the kingdom, and he's healing the sick. It's almost as if this is his thing. <laughs> it's like, I, do you think Jesus would be surprised on the things we choose to do and not do if he came back? And he'd be like, really? Were we reading the same Bible? 
This is kind of all I did was talk about the kingdom of God and heal the sick and be around the poor and hurting. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we thought, like, maybe, you know, you needed this. And he's like, really? <laughs> there is a profound reality of Jesus' work. And if you're the disciples, you got to be pumped because now you're watching him do, like, the perfect version of the thing that you likely did not do perfectly because you're not perfect, right? So now he's, like, the perfect example of healing the sick. He's the perfect example of power and purpose. But it says in verse 12, it says, Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Jesus, send the crowds away to go into the villages and countrysides to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desperate place. This feels like an odd prideful move on the disciples' part, just personally. This dude is literally God, and you're like, hey man, just a heads up, you might want to do something about this. Think about what's happening. The disciples have gone away with the power to heal and preach the gospel, and they did it. They're coming back. Jesus is healing and preaching the gospel in front of them. And then their response is like, hey, that's so cool that you're literally healing people of like cancer and like missing limbs. But we have a bigger problem, Jesus. We don't have any sandwiches for these, these people. Think about that. What is harder, casting out a demon or finding food? Now, they're both big miracles, but I'm just saying one possesses a possibility in, in, on the earth. One does not. See, the disciples encounter something. See, the baby's even amening me on this one, right? We're in, the, we're in a small group together, so she knows me. <laughs> Look at Jesus' response, verse 13. If you have your scripture, open it up. It says, but he said to them, they're like, stop doing miracles so people can get fed. He said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go and buy food for all these people, which feels a little sassy to me. For there were about 5,000 men, so about 20,000 probably people, women and children combined. But I want to look at the fact that Jesus is not being difficult here. He's not being harsh, obtuse. He's not being annoyed is that Jesus is seeing this as a continual ministry, not just little sound bites from Scripture. Jesus sent them out with purpose, power, and perspective. And then when they came back, he walked, and he was preaching the good news and healing, walking in that purpose and that power. But in these moments, the disciples lost perspective. They saw the earthly problems, and they lost their heavenly perspective. They looked out at 20,000 people and they said, that is impossible. I know Jesus is healing. I know he had healed. I know we have been healed in the past. I know we've all been healed. I know we just healed some people, but right now, this is impossible. Isn't that how we work, right? There's nothing more impossible than what you're facing now. God could have done something impossible for you, but certainly this impossible must now be impossible. The last impossible wasn't impossible, but this one must be impossible. Why? Because I'm facing it now. And if you're like me, I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, this is impossible because it's now. People are like, what about the testimony of the past? You go, that's great, but this is impossible. Why is it impossible? Because it feels impossible right now. Amen. And I think this is powerful when we look at the work of Jesus Christ. Because though as people we are 
often overwhelmed by what seems impossible. Jesus is teaching and guiding because he wants to teach his disciples that through him, the impossible is possible. Jesus is doing what he empowered and taught them to do. They come to him and say, this is something impossible. He replies, that's what I trained you for, right? That's what I, that's what I built you for. It's like building a car and never driving it. It's like, why? Did, why? That's what it's built for. This is what I'm working towards and guiding and training you. So I gave you purpose, power, and perspective. Not to be stagnant. Not to be stagnant. But to participate in the work of the kingdom. Hear me, church. God, this, uh, I want us to get this. Because we have outsourced the possibility of our life to others. One of the most devastating things that's ever happened to the church is the creation of the laity in the 15th century, which says, you are there, and I'm here, and so I can do miracles, and you can't. None of us can. Only the Holy Spirit can, and you have him, and I have him. But beyond that, so importantly to your identity, Christ created you to participate in the miraculous work of the kingdom. So important. Christ created you to participate in the miraculous work of the kingdom. If you follow Jesus, that means you are his disciple. And it was always Jesus' plan that his disciples would continue his work. See, to be a student is to know what the teacher teaches. To be a disciple is to do what the teacher's doing. To do what the master is doing. To do what Jesus is doing. It's not just to know. It's to do. It's to live out. It's to be. If you were a disciple of a rabbi, you didn't just want to know what the rabbi knew. You wanted to literally be him. They would live like, dress like, act like, say the things he said in every single possible shape and form. See, it's never that we could, but always that God will through us. We cannot raise the dead. But God can through you. You cannot heal the sick by your power. Like, just like laying hands on nothing. But th God through you can heal the sick. To lay hands on others and believe that God would heal is not by my power, but simply by my obedience. But God can. We can't cast off demonic oppression. Are you kidding me? But God does. And God can. Hear me, discipleship is not an initiation into passive living, but rather the great purpose of the gospel. I think too many of us think we just slid into heaven and like got in just before the gate closed. But that's not God's intent for your life. He's given you power and purpose and authority as a believer, as a disciple, to do the work empowered by the Holy Spirit. You were created for kingdom purpose and given kingdom power. That's why our mission statement's on the back wall, actually, so that all people can experience the freedom and power of new life. See, salvation is not just about, oh, I, just, I just got in. It's about I've been given new life, and part of that new life is the freedom that comes through Jesus. But not only for me, for others. I've been given a purpose to bring freedom to others in the good news of Jesus Christ. But I've given the power, not by my power or my strength. Aren't we thankful for that? I do not have the power necessary to fulfill heavenly purpose. I have earthly power, right? And it's not even very much. I'm not even the most powerful on the earth. 
I've been given heavenly power and authority through him, through the Holy Spirit who's indwelt within me. And I love, I just want to encourage you, this is not just for pastors. This is for you and your life and your family that you have been given this by the Lord. You are called to kingdom work. It is what Jesus has discipled you to do. It is for you and your life. And I love it. Jesus teaches. Let's look at him teach together. Luke 9, 14. Let's look at the second half of verse 14. It says, and he said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, have them, the crowd, sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now this applies to an Elijah, uh, miracle of Elijah that's super cool, but we don't have time for that. But it's pretty awesome. It says, and they did so, and he had them all sit down. It says, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to who? Who did he give the loaves to? The disciples. Okay. It says he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. How many disciples are there? So he gives them the work to do, and then he gives them the pr provision to pick up to continue doing. What I love is that God is not a micromanager. God's not like that person. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes when I'm trying to teach somebody something, I just so desperately want to get the task done. Then I'm like, finally get in there, just do it, right? You ever done that? You're like watching your kid, like try to do something for like an hour and a half. Like, ah, right? The hard part is if you do that, they don't learn how to do it. See, Jesus' mission was not that he would come down and do discipleship for us, but that he would teach us how to be disciples, which means he expects us to do it. I love that. This I was like, we can't do it. He's like, you give him something. Like, we don't have anything to give him. He's like, let me show you. Like, he doesn't yell at him. He's not mad at him. He's like, no, I'm not mad. This is why I'm here. Jesus isn't mad that we need to learn how to be disciples. That's why he's here. That's why we have the Word of God I'm so thankful for. Is I'm learning. I don't know if you're like me. I'm learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen? And he gives them. He says, listen, here's the bread. You take it. And he engages them in the mission. But he still requires that the disciples have to take a step of faith. <laughs> because he doesn't give them multiplied bread, right? He takes five loaves of bread, splits it up into 12 people. That math might right there is a miracle for me. I throw one of these away. Now we're working. Like, <laughs> I don't know how that works. If Jesus had five loaves and 12 disciples, how many times did we redo this problem? Right? But he gives it to the disciples. And in this moment, they now have to turn to the entire GCU basketball stadium and go give it to them. Right? Could you imagine that moment? That is faith. That is faith. Because it hasn't multiplied yet. It multiplies where? In the faithful steps of obedience. In the giving, in the reaching out. Why? Because Jesus wanted to build disciples who would continue to participate in kingdom work even when he physically was no longer there. And he wanted to teach us who though we are not physically next to Jesus in the way the disciples walked with him, that we might do the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. He is giving them and giving us purpose, power, and perspective to do kingdom work. 
He could have done it himself, but he made the disciples a part of the miracle. It came through them and their obedience. Did you know that God wants to do miracles through your life? Some of you, you are looking at a mountain in your life right now that seems profoundly impossible. And I'm here to tell you that God is the only one who can turn a mountain into a ministry. He is the only one that can do the impossible, but do it in such a way that it is not based on survival, but a dedication and a celebration of the possibility of Jesus Christ. God wants to do a work through you, but the power, purpose, and perspective comes back to one issue. It is not your authority. It is not your power. It's not my power. It is faith. Oh, faith. There's a faith question. And it's going to sound so obvious. You've been around church. You might have heard this question. You might even think you know the answer. But some of us have not asked this question of ourselves in like a decade. Here is the faith question. Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Like, yeah, yeah, I believe in him. No, no, I don't mean like, do you believe he existed? Do you believe he was real? I don't even, I'm not even asking, do you believe he had like long hair I'm asking, do you believe in faith that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Lord and Savior? Because can I encourage you, if you know that to be true in your heart, it, it brings about all kinds of change in your life. It's one thing to think it here. It's one thing to know it here, to truly know Jesus is the Lord. It has profound implications. But we all have to ask that question of ourselves. Do I truly believe that God is who he said he is? Jesus has this conversation. If you're with me, go to verse 18, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. It says right after this, it says, remember I told you it's sandwiched between two dialogues about the same question. Herod and Jesus and his disciples. It says, now it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, great question, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, there's a question. He's speaking to us through his word. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, I love Peter. He says, the Christ of God, that word Christ, Messiah, that you are the Messiah, that you are God. Herod was asking, who is Jesus? Is this a prophet? Is it Elijah? They believe maybe the spirit of Elijah would come back in a certain way, prophetically. Jesus says, who do the crowds say that I am? They said, well, Jesus, the crowds say you might be John the Baptist. They might be Elijah. It might be the prophets. It's easier to make kind of a broad confession. Yes, they say this about Jesus. People are saying these things. But he says, who do you say that I am? Do you think I'm just a teacher? Think I'm just good insight? Think I'm good moral law? I'm just like a nice family religion with a family Bible? Think I'm a nice addition? It feels, oh, it's, it's cool, it's nice. Pick out the parts that seem right. Think I'm just like the way to make your kids good people? It's like bring them around me enough and then maybe they'll be okay? What, what, who do you think I am? And I love Peter full of faith. He says, you are the Christ of God. That is a powerful confession of faith. He says, you are the Lord. In Matthew 16, Jesus responds to him. And Matthew says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's some debate. Is he saying Peter's the rock, or is he saying this confession is the rock? This confession of who God is, this salvation is that's the bedrock. And I think it's both things. Peter, in making the confession, is making a profound declaration about who God is. You are the Son of God Most High, who has come to this earth to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus says, exactly. But in making that confession, of faith. Something changes in Peter because he is recognizing the authority of Jesus, but he's also recognizing what that says about Peter. There's no hope for salvation if Jesus isn't actually God. Freedom only comes through a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me, there's no other way to eternal life but through Jesus Christ. This is not something you get near. This is something that is instilled within our heart as a truth that we have to accept in faith that Jesus is the Lord. Why, in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That scripture drives people crazy these days. They hate that one because it's really easy to think, like, Jesus is such a good teacher, and he's like, you know, we, we drew him as a hippie too long. So that's a problem. We drew him like a hippie too long, and now we think that he's some, like, crystal-worshiping hippie, but that's not actually who he is. He is God who came to die for our sins. Now he is meek and, and caring, but he's also God. <laughs> Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Man, this is the core of everything. I, I hope you're hearing me today because this is so important. If we proclaim to follow Jesus, it's a powerful recognition right here in our heart that God is who he is. And why does that matter? Because when we have faith in who Christ is, we will trust in what he does. This is so important. We try to go the other way. I'm just forcing myself to have to trust in him. And the question is, who? Who do you say that he is? Not who is God to you. Who is God? See, when we begin to truly have faith in who Christ is, we'll trust in what he does. Often our lack of faith is not a disdain for God. It's just a lack of trust or understanding in who he really is. Because if we don't trust in who, who the word of God God says that he is, we can't really trust in what he, the Word of God says he's going to do. If we don't trust that God is a provider, as the Word tells us, man, it's going to be hard to trust that he's going to provide. If we don't trust that he is a healer, man, it's going to be it's tough to trust that he's going to heal. If we don't believe that the Word of God says he is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, who calls all nations to him, that when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will call all people unto himself. It is really hard to believe that you will be welcomed not only into the arms of the church, but into, the, most importantly, the kingdom of God. And we don't believe that God is a Savior, a Redeemer. It's hard to trust that there's salvation. Do you see how important this is? I know on the surface it sounds like easy questions, but if we get the easy questions wrong, we get everything wrong. And we miss it. The question today is if we truly believe that Jesus is our Lord, we need to begin to believe in everything he says. And I begin to ask that, that of believers, okay, if you believe and you have faith in him for creation and you believe and have faith in him for salvation, why do you not have faith in him for your situation? 
But often it's because the other ones seem distant and separate, and this one is so vividly real. I know today many of you are facing obstacles that feel absolutely, completely impossible. Like you would trade feeding 20,000 people in exchange like for what you have to deal with. You would rather be like, I'm going to feed the whole stadium than face what I have to face. And so I'm not saying this to say, to minimize. Some of you are facing real health issues that are overwhelming, real debt issues that are overwhelming, real family issues that are overwhelming. And you want to walk in faith, but it is profoundly overwhelming. And so I'm not saying this to minimize. In fact, I'm going to agree with you and say it is impossible. Some of you are facing things that are impossible to overcome. But we serve a God who does the impossible. That's the difference. It, you're right. It is hopeless except when we have the God of hope. The God who does the impossible. Some of you are like, it's not even probable. God is the way maker. He is the sea parter. He is the peace giver. He is the life changer. And it is by his power and authority. Like the disciples, you might be like, God, just send it away so I don't have to deal with it. Could I tell you today, maybe God is saying, would you trust me because I'm the only person who could do something with it? who could bring about a miracle and change and transformation. Some of you are thinking, man, you look at the disciples and you see power and you see, uh, man, this great purpose and this incredible perspective. And you're thinking, like, all this does is just work as a sharp contrast to my life. Like, I don't live this way. I don't function in this thinking. It just makes me kind of feel bad that I'm not Jesus-y enough. And can I tell you that, that if you really read the book of Luke and walk through Scripture, what you see time and time again is Jesus teaching power, purpose, and perspective. The disciples trying and struggling to understand, taking their eyes off, and that Jesus continually comes back and teaches. Why? Because the same thing is true. We have a God of the impossible who wants to engage you in the work of the kingdom, in your life, and the lives around you. And what I love is that Jesus teaches. He say, how? How can I do that? How can I walk out this faith? How can I have that? What does it look like to be this person, to really believe these things, to walk with purpose, power, and perspective? So I want to give you three things today as we close. Is that okay? Okay. Three conditions for discipleship. Verse 23 of Luke chapter 9, it kind of closes and wraps the thing up before the transfiguration, which is a slightly separate moment. He says to all of them, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Did you catch those three? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me give you the first one here. How, how do we begin to walk this out? You're facing something impossible. You're living a life where, where you're facing impossibility. But even beyond that, you want to live in the space of discipleship that Jesus has called you to, to be participating in the work of the kingdom. How? How do you participate in the work of the kingdom? The first thing is exactly what he says. We deny ourselves. Like, that's not encouraging. No, trust me, it will be. Watch. Watch, 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 watch. Watch. <laughs> like, this church is a bummer. No, deny ourselves. 
so much of our life is built around satisfying our desires. You know how I know? Because during 21 days of prayer and fasting, you have never seen more commercials about food in your entire life. You don't recognize it now. It's been a month. You don't recognize it. But in that month, you thought, is every commercial about food? Right? I don't, I don't even think about it now, but in the moment I thought, my goodness, does Pizza Hut rule the earth? Everything's a Pizza Hut? There was, what was that movie, Demolition Man, where every restaurant was a Taco Bell? I was convinced of that reality during, I was like, at any moment, right, every restaurant's a Taco Bell. And I, we live in this space of satisfying our desires constantly. We live in a space of self-fulfillment is the only goal. But I want to be careful in saying Jesus is not saying that good and pleasurable things are bad, right? He's not saying avoid pleasure, right? Like God knows what's up. God made sex and pizza and puppies. He knows what's good. He knows that pleasure is good. He made all of those. It's like the, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is that God is not saying that pleasure is wrong. He's, he knows more than any of us that there is a tension and terror of human life, which is that we are not finding and fulfilling our purpose. Many of us live in the space of feeling like we are somehow, we don't know what it is, but we are not measuring up to the purpose of our life. We have missed our purpose. We are not doing enough for our purpose, especially in the age we live in right now. Even on social medias, we're constantly seeing other people. It's like, oh, if I just had this, if I just did this, I'd have purpose. I'd have purpose in my life. And, and we just end up being, up being miserable. We end up being completely and totally miserable. But what's beautiful is the freedom of Christ is not that we are enough, but that he is enough. And that he invites us into heavenly kingdom purpose. But to do it, we have to deny ourselves. I know, not as popular of a topic, but it's so important. To deny ourselves, not, not to remove any pleasure from our life, but to have a radical change of mind. Did you know that the word repent literally means the changing of one's mind? Change your thinking. Not like I changed, I was going to change my mind. But like to literally change your thinking. To deny yourself is a radical reprioritization of your life. To reject self-interest living and instead seek the will of God for your life. Let me tell you something. If you want to live with God-given purpose then God has to be your purpose. If you put something else in that position, then it doesn't work. Right? It doesn't roll. It doesn't function. Because in order to have heavenly purpose, heaven has to be our focus and our purpose. And yet often we want to be the focus and the purpose, but we want it to be secured in heaven. It will only secure it in heaven if it's secured in God. But what can happen is that we get so locked into this space of more and earning. Our purpose becomes our job. Our job is our purpose, which is, you know, I, hard work is so important, right? I want to lead my family in hard work. I want to, you know, I want to work hard. I want to provide for my family. I want to care for them. I want to be a man of action and grit. But at the same time, if my whole purpose is my job, which is ironic because I kind of work for God, but what happens if things, okay, let me give you a good example. I work for God. What if things don't go perfectly in everything that I do? Does that mean that I failed in my relationship with God? Is God not blessing the church? 
then I become maybe frustrated or bitter. Maybe all of a sudden I go home and I'm frustrated or bitter. And then, you know, you always take your bitterness out on the people you love the most. Then my family's bitter. Like, that seems like I've lost purpose if that's how it goes. But we can get in that state where we begin to make everything that we do our purpose. Can I just encourage you to live with purpose? God has to be your purpose. His kingdom come. His will be done. So we say, you know what? I want to be drawn into this, but instead I'm going to rest in who God is and his purpose for my life. The second thing, are you still with me? Amen, baby. Look at the cutest baby. We make, okay, can we just pause? I know this is like a really touching moment. We make the cutest babies here at this church. I don't know what's in the water here, but man, they're the cutest. You guys have like one of the cutest babies. It's crazy. Uh, we are in small group together, and I just get to like hold her and just like jump and bounce, and like the laugh is the best. So there's a lot of cute babies. Keep making cute babies and growing this kid's ministry. But second thing uh, <laughs> is he says, take up your cross daily. Woo! The key to the power that comes through and that aligns with the purpose is to take up our cross daily. That's an odd phrase when you consider that Jesus has not yet gone to the cross and rose again. Like post-cross, it makes sense. Pre-cross, it's scary. Imagine telling, like, we're all hanging out. Maybe you're, you're with me, you're a dude, and I'm like, hey, the 12 of us, we're just going to do ministry like never before. After a couple years, I'm like, hey, listen, man, heads up. Um, you got to take up your electric chair daily. He'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Same thing. A cross was a devastating visual of death. I mean, it was like the best visual for death that you could possibly give. It's interesting. I have a couple crosses in my office, and someone recently was like, why does the church always have crosses? Isn't that weird that we have like symbols of death everywhere? I'm like, yeah, because the church knows something is that there is an importance to death. See, in the Western postmodern world, death is like somehow an affront to science. Like if you die, it's somehow a failure of science. That's why people are devastated when things happen with disease in this nation, because we think we're all going to live forever, and if anyone dies, it's a failure of science. But the, the, the brutal part and devastating part of the world is that our world is profoundly broken and that there is death. That is the—I I just did the other week. I did a funeral for my, my own grandmother. Went down to Tucson, did her funeral. That, that is a part, and a sad and tragic part of life is death. But the death of Jesus is so unique. Because when I look upon the cross, so the world would see torture and death, I do actually see and I look upon the death of Jesus. But in reflecting on the death of Jesus, instead of mourning, I celebrate. Why? I mourn that he suffered and died, but I celebrate because his death paid my debt and brought me life. His death. When I look upon the cross, what I don't see is the end. I see the beginning, the new birth, to be reborn into new life through Jesus Christ. But Jesus invites me then and calls me, says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily. That is a brutal visual. What is he saying? See, Jesus is not saying that I'm to be crucified. Uh, my crucifixion is not in the flesh hanging on the cross. It is a crucifixion of the flesh. I'm to crucify my fleshly desires. I die to myself, my own godhood, my own prideful desires. I lay myself down. I lay down my need to fix it, earn it, solve it, control it. God will work, but I got to say, God does not often work through control freaks. 
because there's a pride. If you find a control freak in the Bible, usually he's working with them like Pharaoh style. But the reality is, as I look upon this space and I think, man, what a brutal image, I think, but what a blessing to die to my flesh and my fleshly desires that lead to death and instead walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the cross has power and the power of the cross is the grace and forgiveness of sins, amen? That when I look on the cross, I see grace. So it means daily I lay down my own sinful fleshly desires and I walk in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What a free way to live. It sounds so brutal on the surface till you realize that these things that seem so brutal are actually so beautiful. The call to come and follow Christ is the call to come and die. And you're like, that sounds crazy, except it is in dying to ourselves that we receive life. And it is in living for ourselves that we will actually die. But if I die to myself, I receive life through him. And what's amazing is those who die to themselves receive life through Jesus Christ. And the life through Jesus Christ is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and in so doing receive his power. You have been given power and authority because of what Christ has done for you. The mountain that caused you profound anxiety can become an absolute monument to God's authority not because of what you've done but because what he did on the cross and every day I submit my own self and take up my cross and follow Jesus and know that the power comes through him you were built for power and purpose but the third thing and so importantly and band you can come up is that you have been given a heavenly perspective and he says this, the simplest terms. He says, follow me. Follow Jesus. You're like, yeah, that seems like the easiest one. But again, I want to go back to how come the most simple things seem to be the hardest to do? Like make them more complicated, make them more tweetable, and then it'll seem like we're doing them even if we're not. But the most simple ones are hard. He says, follow me. What does that mean? This is the key to perspective. If you want heavenly perspective in your life, it comes through truly following Christ. To deny yourself, take up your cross, it says, follow me. That word follow is a present imperative. It's a command for now. It is a continual following. A continual walking and following. I love, I love Sunday mornings, and I love that Jesus created the church as his bride, and I love that since the beginning of the church, they have met in as big of numbers as they could to celebrate. They met in the synagogue, and then when they got kicked out of the synagogue, they met in the streets and the houses, everything, right? I love that. But Jesus did not die for Sunday morning service. Jesus did not just invite you to church. He invited you to the purpose, power, and perspective of walking in faith with him. I, uh, I did golf uh, team in high school, and I remember that the coach was always saying, don't look at the water. And where I'm from, there's a lot of water when you golf, whether the golf course wants it or not. And I got to say, no matter how many times I golfed, I always hit it in the water. Always. I don't think there's a single golf course in Washington that I played that has water that does not currently possess one of my golf balls or eight. And that's because the key in golf is you hit it whatever you're aimed at, right? <laughs> you hit whatever you're looking at, whatever you're aimed at. The same thing is true in your life. You will go wherever you are looking. Some of you are like, I I've ended up so far over here. My question is not, 
Why? It's where are you looking? What is your perspective? I was pursuing this. Well, that's why you're over here with its consequences. But the beauty of the Lord is he can give us heavenly perspective. See, it's not about being perfect. It's about perspective. Am I fixing my eyes upon the Lord? I already told you his, his mercy, his grace is new every day. We're walking in his grace. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He gives you the freedom of heavenly perspective to look beyond the weight of what is coming against you and see the possibility that comes through Christ. Look at the disciples. Did you notice that over and over in Scripture, when the disciples begin to feel trapped and overwhelmed, when they begin to be taken by the waves or overwhelmed by the crowd, it's because they took their eyes off of Christ and his purpose and his power, and they set them on the physical things that were coming against them. Jesus says there's going to be difficulty, but I've given you power and purpose. But if you lose perspective, if you take your eyes off of trusting in me, everything else falls apart. He says, but if you keep your eyes on me, everything else flows together. I want to invite you, would you stand with me today? Today, many of you are facing a difficulty. Maybe you're facing something that seems highly improbable. I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe you're facing something today that seems completely impossible, and maybe it is. Maybe even you, maybe you have even seen God move before, but you're thinking today, I don't know if we can. I really feel like the Lord has brought you to this moment, this place, to ask you two questions. Do you believe I am who I say I am? And if you believe I am who I say I am, will you trust that I can do what I said I can do? Simple, simple questions. But again, if you've not caught the theme of this church, it's not about striving or earning. It's about trusting and leaning on the Lord. So the question today is not, will you do, will you earn? The question is, will you trust in God? Take the weight off your shoulder and say, Jesus, I trust in you to do what you said that you're going to do. And you can do because I believe in who you say that you are. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask these two questions and we're just going to respond. I really felt called in first service. and I'm going to do it again here. The band's going to lead us in this song. And I'm going to open the altar space. And if you're one of those people today that's saying, Jesus, I need to trust in you. I don't know what that situation is in your life, what's happening, but you're saying, I need to trust in Jesus. I need to get heavenly perspective. I need to walk in the power and purpose he's given. Maybe for you, you've been wondering, what, what am I really called to do? And you've really been downgrading that God has given you power and a purpose, and you haven't really received that. And today, he wants to stir that up where you're just going to say, Jesus, I trust you to do even greater things through me. But before we do that, if you're in here, before we come up for that moment, if you're in here, and in this moment you're asking yourself the question, who do I say Jesus is? And you in faith want to respond that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and in so doing, receive eternal life that comes through him, and receive the hope and healing that, become, that comes through him. And you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior? I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. If that's you today, and you want to receive that new life that comes through Jesus, say, God, you are my God. I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand up and put it back down. I want to pray for you this morning. 
Let's pray together. God, I thank you that all who call on your name will be saved. And I thank you that those here who made that decision right now are saved by the confession of the truth of who you are. And I pray that that would reign in their hearts today in your mighty name. And they would choose in this moment to say, we trust you. We rejoice on earth and we rejoice with heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Just staying in this moment of prayer and worship. And then I'm going to step off and I'm going to let you respond. God's asking today, will you trust me? Some of you, God's called you to a great purpose, but you struggle to trust him for the power that's necessary to do it. You only see earthly things, and God wants to give you heavenly perspective today. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you forward to have a moment with him where you just lay it down, lay your pride, lay whatever it might be at his feet. And some of you, you're facing an impossible obstacle, and you need God to move today. You need God to do a miracle in your life. I'm going to invite you in just a moment, too, to come down. And at the feet of Jesus, just say simply, Jesus, I trust you to work in my life. So if that's you, you're believing God for more, or you're believing God for breakthrough, maybe you need a miracle in your life, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, would you move upon us as we come forward now and lay it at your feet in your mighty name. Amen. If that's you, would you just come forward now and let's worship together. I'll join you here up front. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.